there are men who can hear a window shade rolling up without ever thinking about the way Don Martin would spell the sound effect. And then there's Adam Bernstein and Doug Bost. Two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. With special guest grown-ass man, Kevin Marr. Grown-ass men. Welcome to Grown-Ass Men. Yes. Everybody, we have a special guest uh, this episode, Kevin Marr, the lovely and talented Kevin Marr, is with us from uh, Kevin Geeks Out. Kevin Geeks Out, Kevin Geeks Out, Kevin Geeks Out all day and night. And so, so you'll geek out too, when Kevin Geeks Out with you. Kevin Geeks Out is a series of events that has been happening around New York. How long have you been doing it? I've uh, been doing it since 2008. So and it, I, think it, I think it has a lot of uh, parallels to grown-ass men. In preparing for this episode, I was torn. My, my time was torn between my children, and I had to watch Star Wars ripoffs to prepare for my <laughs> next show. But I was like, I, I can't watch Star Crash. I have to read more Ditko horror. Yeah, it is a crazy thing that we it's, have to yeah, put aside is, our real life. This is like, homework. But yeah, it's great homework. It, but it's it's, great it's, homework. it's almost like something out of a kid's comic book is you get the wish of, <laughs> I wish I could just watch trashy movies and read comic books. And then it's like, it's a chore. We considered talking about uh, Plop. You know, the comics that were joke comics, but they were published by Marvel and DC. Sure. Right. And uh, I thought they were terrible. I could never stomach them. I enjoyed Plop. Plop. <laughs> I, maybe I read Plop when I was younger than you, so maybe I was more in the target demo for Plop. No, I but think probably me, I just didn't give Plop a good enough. Well, for shame. me, the first Mad Magazine I ever got was mm. a super special. It was right before Christmas, I guess 1980 or 81. Uh, on the cover, it showed Dracula, but it's you know it's the face of Alfred E. Newman on Dracula, right. <laughs> and on, and on the other side of of the magazine is Yoda. Again, with the face of Alfred E. Newman. So it was a horror science fiction super special issue, and it was and it was funny. So it was all my favorite things rolled into one, and I read that cover to cover over and over. And as a kid reading Mad, you know, you get introduced to movies that you haven't seen. You read the parody first. Right. So that's how I learned the the beat by beat plots of the Planet of the Apes sequels. It's how I learned a lot of the the, the major monster stories of the Mummy and Frankenstein's monster uh, through you know. Sometimes it'd be like a, a one-page gag comic of Don Martin or Sergio Aragonés cartoons. So when I'd read Plop, it was great. That I was like, oh my God, Sergio Aragonés! It's like these are the guys from Mad doing stuff outside of Mad. Yeah, that was thrilling for me. That was so exciting. It's like finding out somebody from The Clash was in another band. Right. You know, Joe Strummer <laughs> was in the 101ers. It's like, no, it's not as good, but it's amazing and fascinating and fun. Right. I was really deeply into Mad, but I loved Cracked and mm. Sick, which seemed oh, to be like, sick, yeah. they were much lesser quality. Mm. But Cracked seemed to have John Severin's art a lot. I don't know how I am remembering really I'm interested in what you were saying before. I had never thought of it that way, that when you read Mad and Cracked, you, read, you saw the parody of more adult movies before you saw the real movie. Like, you'd see a parody. I've still never seen The Towering Inferno, but I've read the Mad 
version of if blockbusters were remade as musicals. Right. Well, <laughs> I so read, you know what happened I read, in Towering I re- Inferno because yeah, of, yeah. Yeah, beat for beat, I know it. Didn't Mad, uh, for some reason when I think of, you know, we're going to also talk about early horror mm-hmm. stuff from the 50s, and I was like, didn't Mad, were they part of the same company? Like, well, William Gaines, he had to do Mad as a magazine because the comics code, that was the workaround. Right. That the comics code would limit what you could and couldn't show on a cover or the content of a story. So by reclassifying Mad as not a comic book but a magazine, that was that was a way around. So I was reading about William Gaines just this week and found found out a lot of stuff that I didn't remember or didn't really realize. It was amazing. So he was making EC Comics Mm -hmm. and the hearings, the Senate hearings came to shut them down. And when the comics code was established, the specific language in it, there were words that you couldn't use like horror in your title of your magazine. You could not say horror or vault. (laughs) No vaults allowed. And William Gaines was like, well, you're directly attacking me and trying to put my comics out of business because those are literally the titles of my comics. Yeah. So he was, was being, so that's why he went over to and, and did Mad because he felt like, well, they drove me out of there, comics. There's a fantastic lecture series called Nerd Night where people come, they, they do three lectures in a given show. It's once a month. Um, they do it at, I think, Le Poisson Rouge and Littlefield in Brooklyn. And I was at a nerd night where a guy talked about the history of VC comics. And apparently, when Gaines was testifying, he'd been up all night. He'd been up all night prepping his talking points and everything. So he was so exhausted Mm. by the time he got in front. He was making terrible decisions. And you look at the videos and you read the transcripts and it's like, there's a guy who doesn't know what he's doing because he's he's completely exhausted. You know, they show the cover art. Do you think this is tasteful? He's like, no, I would have shown a little more blood. Like he gave all the wrong (laughs) answers. Um, But it's like, yeah, of course, that's the guy who started mad. Right. Yeah. Here's my thing I want to bring to the table. I, 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 besides just talking about my own memories, so many Jewish comic book writers and editors in New York had relatives who were suffering through the Holocaust, oh, you know, right. or who, who were killed. And there was this kind of a crisis of conscience that they were publishing stories for a kid where good defeats evil. And that was regularly part of the routine. And they felt we can no longer keep telling children that the world is a place where there's justice and there's fairness. In good conscience. We in have good to conscience. show reality. So wow. they, they introduced the supernatural. And we'll get to that in some of these Ditko stories. That a, a man will murder his wife, will do something terrible and horrible, and it's unjust. Right. But then a supernatural element comes in where there's a ghost or somebody returns from the grave that in the world there is not justice. Mm-hmm. But right. it, was, it was directly kind of a reaction to the Nazis in World War II and the Holocaust, that you got the supernatural revenge stories that that populated so much of EC Comics. That's interesting, because I was wondering about that, because you have all those great superheroes that are, you know, created in the late 30s and 40s, like all the iconic giants, Mm -hmm. right? Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, Submariner. And then why, in the 50s, which seems like such a patriotic time, would they be making that shift and it wasn't as popular anymore? I mean, you still have Justice League, I think, sort of struggling through the 50s <laughs> yeah. to exist, you know, but it doesn't really catch on. And these books, these horror books, are what's really, you know, the kids are into. Yeah. 
I bet you it wasn't only the kids. The comics that we're going to talk about today, specifically, we're going to talk about some EC-style comics. Mm -hmm. Pre-code. Uh, Pre-code right. horror comics from the mid-50s. And we all read this book called Strange Suspense, uh, the Ditko, Steve Ditko Archives, Volume 1. So Steve Ditko, who later went on to create Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, started doing anything he could he could get hired for because he could draw in any style and he would write and draw his own stories and a lot of the work that he got was making these short stories and some of them were western some of them were romances police procedurals i mean yeah. it's everything but very quickly he got into horror and this book strange suspense is all these charlton comics horror and supernatural stories that he did in the 50s right and some of them are insane <laughs> they're they're all I mean they're really he wrote them all yeah he, he must have written them all one of the things I wondered while I was reading it is how many other stories he was producing in a given month right uh, one of the stories that stood out to me that it seems like one of the only glimpses of anything autobiographical is library of horror which is about a writer who has these deadlines and his editor right. is like I thought you were gonna be a genius it's like I've run out of good stories to tell and he gets suckered into again there's always these little these little old evil men who hey, hey, right. they're always <laughs> laughing it's like come into my hat shop <laughs> right exactly. oh pleasant to meet you mister Mr. Mephisto. <laughs> it's always just these <laughs> transparent yeah. uh, evil men. But he, he ends up becoming a successful author because he glimpses into a hell and he becomes this, this very successful horror writer. And that I wondered, you know, is this a, a glimpse into like Ditko's process? Maybe. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right. You know, the names of the comics themselves are so great. My favorite is the magazine called This Magazine is Haunted. Yes. I just think that's a great and title for a magazine. And it repeatedly, repeatedly has characters appear on the cover and they dare you to read it. I <laughs> Which again, for the audience, is perfect. Like, yeah. what do kids like? Horror. What else do they like? Being dared. <laughs> right. But I guess, you know, suckers. I'm thinking about the explosion of the music that was so considered so rebellious at the same time, you know, the birth of rock and roll, like, I guess everyone was just needing to rebel the same way they were in England in the 60s, like just to get away from what the establishment was and how do we get away from what our parents did, even if it was just like embracing these horrible stories. <laughs> so what's your from this, yeah, what was one that really stuck out What was your favorite from you? this? Was it the Library of Horror? No, it's actually one that comes a little bit later in the book. Let me find it. It's uh, Bridegroom Come Back to Me or Bridegroom Returns. Um, Bridegroom Come Back. Again, this is very much what we were talking about earlier, the kind of uh, supernatural revenge story. It's a woman picks out a wedding dress. She marries a guy. Mm -hmm. He murders her. Uh, the beats of the story aren't anything so unusual. The twist is the entire narrative is told from the wedding gown's point of view. <laughs> and I've never seen anything like that because when it starts off, she came into the room, she looked at me, she fell in love. You're like, oh, this is the guy she's in love with. It's like, no, it's the wedding dress talking. And right. the wedding dress talks about being so sad and lonely, being on a hanger, being wait waiting to be worn. And then when the guy commits the murder, <laughs> it's probably my favorite line in the book. Every thread in me cries out soundlessly. He has killed her. But what can I do? I am only a wedding gown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then it's, in the end... It's really absurdist. It's fantastic. In the end, um, she comes back from the grave, well, unbeknownst to the reader, but, you know, a lot of these, you, you see you yeah, see yeah, some you of this stuff coming. It's coming. Uh, so a mysterious woman in a veil mm-hmm. buys the wedding dress back from a pawn shop. She puts it on. She goes, gets married to the same guy. He tries to kill her. The bullet goes through her, but she doesn't bleed. She takes the veil off. It's, she's like, you can't kill me because you've killed me before. And then she murders the, the evil husband who, I guess, marries women and steals their money. And, and always... And doesn't question the same wedding dress being on two brides. Right. In a <laughs> didn't. didn't <laughs> his his mind is elsewhere. He's yeah. thinking about the money. But it ends with the the woman returning to the grave wearing the dress, and the dress is so happy because she establishes early on. I'm, I'm guessing it's a she, but the the dress establishes it does not like to be left alone in a closet. So she's delighted right. that she will be worn every day. I am happy now. I shall. I shall never hang in a dark closet again, gathering dust, accumulating moth holes, longing to be stroked by warm hands. I am happy, for now I shall be worn for all eternity. <laughs> and it's like if you read any kids' books, it's about, you know, like, you know, Nuffle Bunny or, or any, any kind of kid's story that's from the, the child's toy's point of view. It's like Toy Story. Yeah. It's a wedding dress of a dead woman tells you this story. Right. It's crazy. I particularly liked one later in the book, which was called Family Mix-Up. There's a overweight, blonde-haired woman. She has like a Lulu haircut <laughs> and this like very, very tall, skinny like guy who's like a, you know, like your typical working class guy. And they just have a marriage and they can't stand each other. And they're like plotting how to kill each other. I mean, this book has like some of the most miserable marriages outside of a Charles Adams cartoon. Right. Just all these right. guys, all these guys sit around plotting to murder plotting the to wife. murder each other. Well, there's one that really stood out to me that has such a gruesome element to it. The evil eye. Evil eye. Great one. Let me see. For the uninitiated, find. for yeah. those of you who haven't read Strange <laughs> Suspense, the Steve right. Ditko Archives Volume like One. Sellers that are written now. If you want to play catch up, you can you can get it from Fantagraphics Books. Yeah. The husband has a wife in a wheelchair, and he's stealing from from his wife. And then... (laughs) This guy's marriages must have been so horrible. He intends to run her off the road and make it look like an accident, but he gets kind of stuck in the car as he tries to run her off the road. And there's just some really creepy images. There's a really creepy image on the bottom of 152 of her sitting in the car giving him the evil eye right but she's been tied up and gagged so she can't speak and she's just very terrifying starlin-esque yeah it's kind of just like warlock with that giant gem on her yeah just the side note fans (laughs) there's a fantastic panel just a few pages later where uh she gets her revenge on him she she chains him to the floor and lets out a, a box full of giant rats who chew off of his arms and legs. That's the, that's and, the, and of course it's the thing where, because you talked about how wordy these are, we see it. We see what's happened. Right. But the thought bubble is, my hands, they've been chewed off. But um, <laughs> And my legs, good lord. Nothing but bloody stumps where my feet were, but the we, chains are loose. Right, so he's still lucid enough to think, well, I don't have any limbs left, but the chains are loose. Maybe I can still escape. So then he jumps into the ocean to, to free himself of the burning of the eye that was placed on his forehead, Mm -hmm. and we just see this 
gray-black ocean that he's he's falling through slowly in the water with but like the, the a few fish panel there by. is once he almost gets to the bottom, he's floating near the bottom of the ocean, and you just see the bones of his stumps. <laughs> he can't swim with the stumps, but he seems to be trying. Two of the stories in this book are retellings of, of uh, familiar fables. Right, but that they might are be my favorite. The Cinderella, the Cinderella one is great. Right. It's Cinderella, but so evil. Right. And it, it, in a way, it's like a more like a Grimm's fairy tale because it's that these these homogenized these, versions of these fairy tales. And now these tales have kind of come full circle, which is they started off being really like gritty and gruesome, and then they became sanitized, and then the next incarnation was to really dirty them up again and make them like violent and nasty. And that's what's good about that Cinderella one is it's really nasty. No, they're vampires. Yeah, they're vampires. all the sisters are. Vampire, wicked stepsisters, right. and, and not, the wicked like, not metaphorically vampires. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're really vampires. But also, you've got this guy here, the Rumpelstiltskin character. He's just like the creeper, which is Steve Ditko's invention oh. later. Well, you know what? I keep what I kept thinking when I was reading the stories that I did read and looking at the art is like, what made Spider-Man and Doctor Strange so great was. You know, the combination, Stanley's so light in a lot of ways, particularly at the beginning of, you know, Marvel in the 60s. But he, this guy's clearly a little bit off, <laughs> you know, Steve Ditko. So it's like, it's a nice, you know, working together that produced something that was different. One of the things that struck me reading, reading, and again, when you read them back to back to back, you notice certain patterns and <laughs> habits right. that when you have a six or an eight page story everything has to escalate so quickly people are drawn to murder like nobody's business where it's like uh oh the landlord saw i'm going to have to kill him they gotta stack up yeah they gotta stack up the bodies everyone's quick to murder yep that was one of the things that stood well, that out also is out of um radio plays like these aren't coming out of nowhere in the 30s and 40s, there were so many radio plays on half-hour radio dramas, and the best of them, of course, were like suspense and escape and stuff like that. Guy's gonna murder his wife, and how is he gonna get away with it in the car? She doesn't fall off the cliff like is expected, and she comes back from the dead. You know, like it's all... it's amazing that women, little girls who grew up with this, got married. Yes, it's, ever. It's it's a wonder <laughs> that marriage right. as an institution didn't just come to an end in 1968. You know, right. that's so associated with murder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something very special that happens on your wedding night. <laughs> right, right. What's that? You get murdered. <laughs> Some of the evil characters remind me of like Jack Chick devils, you know, yeah. in, the, in the Bible tracks of like, ha, 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 I am evil. Ho, ho, ho. I've tricked you now. Like the, the, they're, they're sort of morality tales, but they don't, he doesn't really side too strongly with one party or the other. Maybe it comes again from the radio plays because a lot of those radio plays were hosted by a crypt keeper, kind of the man in black. This is the man in black with a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Lights out. The creaking door and the the whistler. 
The Whistler, of course. And then those same sorts of characters would narrate the anthology books where you'd have the Crypt Keeper. Now we're going to tell you a story that's <laughs> dripping with terror. And uh, <laughs> and those, dripping. those characters would be the main characters of the story were just as amoral as the Crypt Keeper and every, hmm. everybody else. And I wonder for, for the kids who grew up on this, does it, you know, does it portray capitalism or or marriage or different things in such a negative light that there's there's really not a lot of people to root for and crypt yeah. keepers like why do they portray <laughs> crypt keepers as so mean <laughs> certainly there were nice crypt keepers so we often ask uh, people who are on our show what superpower they wish they had. Um, well, I'm capable of getting up and crossing the room to get a drink, so I don't need. I don't need. The oh, you stretch. heard that. You don't need the. Stretching. I don't need the Doug Boss. The Doug Boss. I thought that was over really, the law. I didn't really go for that one either. I could, yeah, fortunately, I could go across the room. What are we putting on the table? I didn't give this a lot of thought. It's always it always I comes had... down to invisibility or flying, right? It's always and it's always either no, or. There's there's a huge thing that you're leaving out. Super strength. Super strength. Which is I, definitely. I grew up being a tall kid with a deep booming voice. I always have to talk gently, mm-hmm. and like having kids taught me to be very, very gentle because I can be loud and booming and scary. Mm-hmm. I'm always holding back, and I would be terrified of super strength. That I would, I would, oh. I wouldn't want a super. I want, I want a little extra. I want like steroid extra, and, I, and if that's the case, I could just get steroids. <laughs> well, maybe what you really need is like somebody to fight and release who now that, you really are. Yeah. You need a, an opponent who is your. That match. must be so satisfying. That's yeah, kind that's, of what the Hulk's dilemma is. There's right? nobody. Can, well, is that night? Is that too? But I mean, like he's holding Bruce Banner's holding back. Yeah, yeah. Holding and then he let it go. When he lets go, he becomes dangerous. I think they're talking about more than violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always holding back. He's holding back. Um, what are some other uh, superpowers we're looking at here? What else is on the table? Super speed. Of course, I, I think I realized that in addition to stretching, the power that I would like is yeah. to be able to find anything that I've ever lost. And I actually envision it as a pile, like in a yard, that there would be a pile, a kind of a pyramid shaped pile of every pair of glasses and book and. Uh, wow. You know, bag of Swedish fish that I'd ever yeah. lost, and it would be in that pile. Uh, what about uh, like a clairvoyance? Is that considered a superpower? Being sure, able to see sure. into the future? That's one of those ones that's a curse, though, right? That's like see one of those heavy-duty responsibilities. It could be problematic. Yeah. So you, you're going with flying? I, I'm gonna half-heartedly commit to flying. I might come back some other time. A year from now, we'll do another episode, and I'll have a better answer. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, Kevin Marr, thank you so much. For, oh my gosh, this uh, was fantastic. Um, yeah, really great. Show. Great to meet you. Great to talk about these things. I've I really been, enjoyed it. I've been really enjoying listening to the podcast. So uh, it'll be good. here as a thrill. Um, Perfectly. Perfectly. You know, if you perfect. ever do a Kevin Geeks Out about comics, let us know. Absolutely. What's your um, next one that you're going to do? End of the month, we're doing this episode will have aired. Uh, is space operas. So I've been oh, watching the Star nice. Wars ripoffs nice. uh, for that. And then one of the things I'm really interested in, because we've done shows about, you know, werewolves and Stephen King and, you know, sure. sort of a lot of genre stuff. Uh, the following month, as a joke, I, I said I was going to do a show about wigs and the audience <laughs> loved the joke. Wow. So I'm doing a show about wigs. And what I love about yeah. that is That's great. it crosses genres, it crosses decades. It's not like 
Now I'm just going to do a show about this tiny little corner of sub-sub-genre entertainment about evil aliens. Right. No, it's like it crosses decades of film and television, Ooh. good wigs, bad wigs, can talk as about well wigs. as wigs in real life, hair pieces and yeah. toupees. Great. Well, thank you so much Thanks. for coming on. That was on really awesome. Us, man. Oh, this Fantastic. is excellent. Great Thanks. to have you. Grown-ass man.